Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. I want us to focus today on a subtle sin that tends to take hold of our lives and begins to overcloud the brightness of the presence of Christ in our hearts. And, and it's, it's a sin that may seem rather insignificant, but it's very significant. And it's the sin of just enough. Uh, sometimes we, we act like a child who uh, tries to clean their room just enough. Or we, we try to make the grade just enough to pass or please our parent. We, we just try to do just, just enough. We had a girl in our youth group growing up. We would go on a mission trip, and before she did anything, she'd go to our youth leader, and she would say, John, if we do this, what are the consequences? And so in essence, she was confessing prior to doing what she was about to do, but she just wanted to know how she could do just enough to stay out of of trouble. Well, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Philemon, concerning his reception of the runaway slave, Onesimus, makes a statement of great confidence and his friend and fellow servant of Christ, when he says to Philemon, I have great confidence in your obedience and that you will do even more so than you have been commanded. So I want us to talk about overcoming that that sin of, of just enough. It would be just enough for Philemon to receive Onesimus punish him for his departure, punish him for his theft, but receive him back as a slave. But that's not the command of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of God. He has commanded him and challenged him to receive him back not as a slave, no longer a slave, but as a brother in Christ and to be a so much more follower of Christ rather than just enough. But haven't you found that we stop at the expectation of others? We look around the room and we compare ourselves and we say, well, if I get here, that's that's just enough. I don't want to go any further in my faith. I don't want to become a fanatic. I, I don't want to overdo it. And the reality is, most of us don't even have to worry about overdoing it, right? Because we're stuck in that just enough pattern. I, I want to come just enough. How much do I have to attend? Well, in our minds we think, well, just enough. How much do I have to give or how often do I have to tithe? How, how, how much stewardship do I have to exercise? Well, well just enough. Or, or how, how much time do I need to spend in prayer and Bible reading, etc.? Well, 
just enough to make me feel better, just enough to check the box. We can fall into that trap, and, and I'm saying we because I, I fall into that same category, but I want to challenge us today to go well beyond just enough. Because when Jesus gave his life for us, he didn't give just enough. He gave us complete pardon and complete salvation. And so Paul is upholding that standard 10 times. He refers in these 25 verses to Jesus. This letter is not about Philemon. It's not about Paul. It's not even about Onesimus. It's about Jesus and meeting his standard and doing what he would require. And so let's look together at verses 20 and 21 of the book of Philemon. We're going to begin reading at verse 17 to put it in context. If then you count me as a partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would me, Paul. But if Onesimus has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Let's pray together. Father, you are worthy of our all. How dare we hold back from you. Father, help us to uh, overcome that. Help us to enter into the fullness of a, an all-out relationship with you. Help us every time we come into your presence to give you even more. Every time we serve you to give you even more of ourselves. And Father, even, even now as we open your word together, help us to give you even more attention than we've ever given you in this context. Draw us into a deeper discipleship than ever before. So, Father, please, please, please speak through me today. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The reality is all of life has consequences. 
We typically think of consequences as negative things. If, if we do this, then these negative consequences will happen. But, but in reality, when we, when we do what is right and what is godly, there are consequences of that that are also very positive. And so here the Apostle Paul seems to be reminding Philemon of that. I know this is a great challenge, he seems to be saying to him. He has asked him in verse 17 to respond to the mess with mercy. Verse 18, he's challenged him to extend grace instead of bearing a grudge. And verse 19, he's asked him to humbly realize his indebtedness to the Apostle Paul himself. Then he turns in verse 20 and he says, yes, brother. What a tender term as he turns toward the heart of Philemon. He's reminding him that their relationship as brothers, which has been brought to them by becoming sons of God and brothers in Christ. He's reminding him that there is so much at stake here. There is so much at stake. And it will bear weight upon this relationship, good or bad. As a matter of fact, their, their relationship can't stay where it is. It will either begin to deteriorate It will begin to escalate, but it won't stay the same. Because the Apostle Paul has dared to step between Onesimus and Philemon and and sought to do what is good and godly and and bring resolution and reconciliation there, He, he knows that he has put their very relationship on the line. And so he uses that tender term, yes, brother. And then he pleads with him, let me have joy. He's saying, would you please give me joy? Do you see here the picture of joy being a gift that we give others? And are we stir the joy that God has put in their heart? He's speaking very vulnerably here. I'm either going to have great sorrow or great joy. Let me have joy. And then he says, refresh my heart. Don't devastate my heart, but refresh my heart. He's pleading with him, not in a selfish way, but he's saying, yes, brother, if if you would please bring me great joy and and great refreshment, that, that would do me good and it would do you good. Because haven't you found when you do good to others, good springs back into your heart from the hand of God. And so in verse 20, as he enters that that vulnerable realm, he says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. So the first thing he's challenging him to do is to consider the influence of his consistency on others. You may not know it, but today, the very fact that you got up, walked outside your home, 
got in a vehicle and came to worship has influenced somebody. There's somebody that sees your vehicle pass their home most every Sunday. There are people that know if they are going to find you on a given Sunday morning, the best place to begin their search for you is right here at the place of worship. Uh, There are people that are influenced by the wisdom that God gives you and they they never compliment you on that. They, They never thank you for that, but they're being influenced by that, even those that seem to resent it. There are great consequences that come into people's lives by our obedience. And so here the Apostle Paul is challenging Philemon and ourselves to consider the influence of your consistency on others. Haven't you been tempted to just say, well, nobody cares, nobody notices, I'll just just do just enough. Well, that's a bad thing. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus cares. But even beyond that, you're influencing someone else. And you're influencing them for the the good or for the negative. And so here's the reality that, that seems to come to bear upon what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Every challenge we face requires choices. When you face a challenge in your life, like Philemon was facing in his decision, does he welcome Onesimus back? Does he disregard his friendship with the Apostle Paul? Does he disregard the glory of God in his life? When he's considering all of that, that challenge is bringing all these choices to him. If you are hurt in your life, you face choices. If you face a trial in your life, you you face choices. If your family is facing a challenge, it, it brings a host of choices that have to be made almost by the moment at times. And then those choices produce changes. So here... Philemon faces this challenge that brings all these choices and it's going to bring a change for the better or for the worse. Haven't you found that in life when when this offense or this thing in our lives happens and it's dropped into the center of our relationship? We know this relationship will never stay the same. When Deanna and I face challenges in our life, we we, we have to do that with the reality of knowing our relationship is either going to move backward or it's going to move forward toward the glory of God. It, it brings great choices and changes. When my precious bride fell, Last Sunday evening, everything changed for us, although it's temporary. It either becomes an obstacle for us doing what we want to do, 
or it becomes an opportunity to live out the service I've pledged to her. I mean, these hands that I'm using to gesture now held a comb and a curling iron today. Now, you're, I know you're going to come say, I knew there was something wrong with her hair. And I'm not singing my praise. I'm just saying it all changes, doesn't it? And, and it's just her arm. It's not even her whole arm. It's, it's just her wrist. It's not even her whole wrist. It's just some bones in there. But the same thing happens in the body of Christ. When pain and suffering hits the body, the body has a decision. Do we go on as if nothing's wrong or do we rally around those who are hurting and we, we come to them and we do what we're commanded to do? We're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. When one member is suffering, we all suffer. And so we face those choices that, that are brought about by challenges and then they produce changes and then those changes produce consequences. I've shared an experience with, my, uh, with you about my father modeling for me just months before his death how a Christian man and a devoted disciple seeks forgiveness and extends forgiveness. And here's what I believe when I look back at that. If my dad had died a bitter man, I would have died a bitter man. And if I had died a bitter man, it's very likely Jaron or Kobe would have died a bitter man. And if they had died a bitter man, then Josiah or baby girl might have died with bitterness in their heart. But my dad took the time, that vulnerable moment in time where he took me with him to seek reconciliation. And to this day, that is a blessing in my life because it has lasting consequences. I don't know what challenge you're facing, but I do know it brings choices into your life. And based on those choices, it brings changes, and those changes produce lasting consequences that will ever be a part of your life. And you may think, well, this just affects me. Just think about when one person stumbles or one person falls, just the domino effect of that that ripples through the body of Christ. And so here Philemon is at the helm of this local church. His wife is at his side. His son is teaching the word. And, and it all has the potential to explode. And the Apostle Paul says to him, my dear brother, let me have joy, refresh my heart. Don't give in to those fleshly carnal urges of self-destruction. So think about those two requests here as we consider the influence of our consistency on others. First of all, he says, let me have joy. 
Then he says, refresh my heart. Now in the original Greek language, he uses different terms that come out the same way in the English, in the context here. But if you compare verse 7 with verse 20, you find those two things. Joy and refresh. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in greeting him. He's talked about him being in Christ. We're talking about godly relationships. Verse 7, he says, For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Then in verse 20, as it is translated from other Greek terms in the New Testament here, Verse 20 says, yes, brother, the term brother is once again used. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. What's he asking Philemon to do? He's asking him, will you please do for me what I have rejoiced in seeing you do for others? Will you do for me in the area of joy what I have seen you do out of love for others? And will you refresh me out of your heart of love like you have for others? How tragic it is when challenges and trials and tragedies happen in people's lives where they become very inconsistent compared to what they used to be spiritually. How does that happen? Well, It happens so subtly, doesn't it? And so he's saying, don't stop being who you are. I know you are able to do that with all the saints around you, but he's saying now Onesimus is one of those saints. We've talked about in recent days how easy it is to love at a distance or short term. We might go on a mission trip to the inner city and try to reach people there and fall in love with their their life. We might be overcome with compassion for them, but the same set of people could live in another part of our community and we would never, ever reach out to them. Isn't that crazy? We were talking about how how Greg has been blessed to go into the the prison system in the ministry of Kairos and or Kairos and 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 reach out to men who who have experienced brokenness and tragedy in life. They've, they've brought devastation to others and, and we rejoice in that. We pray for that. We celebrate that. But then if, if a person comes that's recovering from a life of imprisonment into our congregation, there's this tendency to stiff arm them. Why? Well, it's kind of like the little ditty, whatever a ditty is, that says this, to live above with saints we love, that will truly be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. See, it's easy to love the world. It's easy to love humanity. But when you're staring Onesimus in the face, 
That's where the real challenge is, isn't it? He's saying, Philemon, I I know how you have responded to these people under your spiritual care. I know how you've opened your home as a house church and you've welcomed them in and you've shown them great love and that love has brought joy to them. It has refreshed them. It's not time to stop now. It's It's time to step it up. It's time to take it to the next level and it's, it's being brought to you by the most unlikely person. His name's Onesimus. Let me have joy and, and refresh my heart, he says. Philemon refreshed the hearts of the saints. How could he refrain from doing the same for the apostle Paul? We would say he better not blow it. Easy for us to point the finger at him. In this particular word used here in verse 20 for refreshing his heart, it's the same word that Jesus used when he made this statement. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened and I will give you rest. Literally it would be and I will refresh you. Come to me all you who are weary and overburdened and I will refresh you. Matthew eleven twenty eight is where Jesus is recorded to having said that. Here's the thing. When somebody comes into our presence, when somebody is relating to us, we have the potential to deflate them or breathe fresh air into their lives. We either bring ourselves at them or we bring Jesus to them. I want to live a life that to be in my presence is to be in the presence of Jesus, the great burden bearer, the great refresher. And so the high standard the Apostle Paul is calling Philemon to is not to Paul-likeness, he's calling him to Christ-likeness and he's saying consider the impact this will have on me and if it starts with Paul and it has an effect like that it will filter into the lives of others but if it's adverse that whole house church is going to splinter and split. So I challenge you and I challenge myself to consider the influence of your consistency on others. But then secondly, there in that passage, you find the repeated phrase in the Lord in verse 20. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Second thing is, remember every crisis demands Christ-like consistency. He's saying in the Lord. You see, I know some people. I see them at Walmart. I see them different places, never in here, none of you, but they can just light up a room 
by leaving it. You know anybody like that? But here, he's talking about if, if you are in the Lord, and I'm in the Lord, there are certain things that we should interact around and one of those is joy and refreshment where, where I just I leave refreshed and encouraged Monday nights is that for me I go to men's Bible study after a long Sunday and a, a, my, what I call jokingly my holy hangover on Mondays and I get to men's Bible study and I walk out of there refreshed and with great joy some of you have come from a, a brutal week and you, you walk into your small group this morning and there you find joy and refreshment in the Lord. Not just because you were with friends, but you were in the presence of friends of the friend, Jesus. So he's reminding him, this is all a challenge in the Lord. It's, it's about godly relationships. It's about God in your life. And the only way any of these responses will make sense to Philemon or anyone else is that they are to occur in the Lord. And when you operate in the Lord and you do what the Lord would have you to do, it results in joy and refreshment in the lives of others and yourself. He's not saying respond in the world, but in the Lord. I've been in some situations, especially in the church in New Mexico. I remember a situation where a pastor was telling me, well, if I was you, buddy, here's what I would do as an older, not much older than me now, but he was an older pastor, talking to a young pastor. I tell you what I would do. I would do this, 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 and this. And I said, have you ever done that? Yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it. How'd that, how'd that work? Well, I was gone in six months, but it felt good. I was thinking, so you're wanting me to self-destruct like you did for some fleeting happiness and give up my joy? But haven't you found people encourage you to do that? Why? Because they're operating in the world, not in the Lord. Others may in the world, but you cannot in the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, it may be this way out there, but not so among you. If you are in the Lord, it's not just your choice. It's your choice in the Lord, how you react and how you act in this life. And so here the challenge is to remember every crisis demands Christ-like consistency in the Lord. If we are in the Lord, then we're required to be like him regardless of the circumstances and challenges that we face. We, we never get a day off. We, we never get the card to play that says, okay, I'm going to take my pass here. No, never. Ultimately, the, the most important thing is not what you do for the Lord, but what the Lord does through you. 
Anybody can in their flesh do something and say it's for the Lord, but only those who are walking with him, pleasing him, a tender heart toward him, can be used by God and him do something through them. And him doing something through you is so much better and so much more right than us just doing something for him. There's a Dennis the Menace cartoon. I feel like I'm looking in a mirror many times when I'm reading that, looking back into my childhood. I I asked my mother one time about a Dennis the Menace episode on a DVD that I'd been given, and she said, I I never really watched that, and and we both started laughing, and almost in unison, she said, we lived that. Well, Dennis the Menace's mother has planted him in a chair repeatedly and and told him to sit down in the corner. And so finally, he's, he's sitting in the corner and he says to his mom, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. How many times have we done just enough? I'm going to do this for you, God, but you better appreciate it. That's the Greek phrase for it. It's worthless. It's not about the herd, it's about the heart. It's not about doing something for him, it's about him doing something through you. And so he's saying to him, in essence, don't short circuit the activity of God in you and through you by making the improper choice here. If you make the wrong choice here, it shuts a lot of stuff off. And it's not just your relationship with me, it will devastate and shrink back your relationship with God. Have great joy toward me and me toward you and let's refresh each other. Let's don't stop, let's press on. Because if your faith doesn't work in a trial, it doesn't work. And ultimately, the most important thing is not what happens to you, but what happens in you and through you. You know what we dwell on? What's happened to us. Not what should be happening in us and through us. What a tragedy that. For instance, if I say, who in your life has hurt you the most? I could start right now. We could go around the room. All of us could answer without even having to think. But if I asked you, who has blessed you the most this past week? You'd have to stop and think, okay, wait a minute. I've got to think through this. Why? Because we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. Now, we may not be able to forget what happened to us, but we need to stop dwelling on that and start focusing on what should be happening in us. Remember, every crisis, every crisis demands Christ-like consistency. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my soul in the Lord. And then verse 21, we come to the the focus of the message here. Go beyond what is expected and acceptable. Go beyond what is 
expected and acceptable. Here's what would have been acceptable. Onesimus comes back to Philemon as a runaway slave, a thief. It would have been acceptable for Philemon to seek his punishment and perhaps his death. It would also be permissible in the world to bring him back and do just enough, welcome him back. Okay, Paul, I'll welcome him back, but he's going to stay as my servant. And and I'm going to make him work harder, and I'm going to reward him less, and I'm not going to give him any attention And if someone mistreats him, I'm going to look the other way. And and the world would say, that's great. That's acceptable. But remember, he's not responding in the world. He's responding in the Lord. So what does it mean when Paul says in verse 21, having confidence in your obedience? In the Amplified Bible, it says, I am perfectly confident in your obedient compliance. I I know you're going to do all that I've asked you to do. He says, I I believe in, not in you, but in the activity of God in your life. I believe you're going to do this. And then he says, knowing, that word knowing is better translated perhaps understanding. It's like knowing something from experience. Like like there are times I I know how my bride is going to respond. Why? Because I have an understanding there. And so he says, based on our relationship, I know some things about you. I understand some things about you. And and I know you're going to do what's right. But I also know and understand that you will do even more than I say. Paul was saying, I'm not the final authority. I'm I'm not even willing to command you, he said at the beginning of the letter. I I urge you to do this, and I could command you, but I'm not going to do that. I I urge you, knowing that you're going to do right, and then here he says, I I know you're going to go the extra mile, and you're going to do even more than I've thought of. And that will bring greater joy and refreshment to the Apostle Paul. Now, I've shared with you, I believe that Philemon was in compliance with these commands because we have the letter. If he didn't comply with this, I believe it would have been burned, thrown away, uh, trashed, and Paul might have written Philemon too, or second Philemon. I believe he complied with it, but I believe he went the extra mile. One commentator says, Onesimus' freedom seems to be in mind. Not just welcome him back as a slave, no longer a slave, the Apostle Paul has said in this letter, but he said, but as a brother in Christ because he has come to know Christ now. Welcome him back as a brother Or, if Onesimus were released, 
This shows the effect of Christianity on slavery through a recognition of true brotherhood in Christ. And the even more could have been, not only does he welcome him back as a brother, he ministers to him, and then out of unselfishness, he sends him back to the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul says, I would much rather keep him here to benefit me rather than just send him to you, but I'm sending him to you because you've got some business to do with God and with Onesimus. You see the even more factors that come into this? So when we're challenged by the word of God, I just want to ask you a question. Are you a just enough Christian or are you an even more Christian? Are are you just enough? In your following of Christ, you have your boundaries. I'll go anywhere as long as I can stay here. I'll do anything as long as it's A, B, C, or D. I'll I'll reach out to anyone except for these people, these people, these people, and these people. And and I do have a time limit I'm going to put on it, but God, I'm wide open. No, you're not. You're doing just enough. Or are you an even more follower of Christ? Not only am I going to forgive, but I'm going to serve this person. Not only am I going to reach out to this group, I'm going to plant my life there. I mean, I look around the room. I I know some of you, when we ask you, would you consider doing this, you're going to be an even more kind of person. There are others that are going to be just enough. And and it's not a judgment that we place on each other. It's just knowing and understanding from experience. But what would it be like if our whole body became even more kind of followers of Christ? And so he's saying here, Philemon, you've had a great walk with God. I don't want this to derail it or detour it or devastate it. I want it to redefine it and take it to a new level. I watched an interview with Julie Andrews this last week. In case that name doesn't ring a bell, try the names Mary Poppins or Maria from Sound of Music. If you don't know those, um, we can talk about your salvation later. No, I believe you're probably saved, but you can still go to heaven. You just won't have as much fun on the way there. Anyway, she was Mary Poppins, has a, a beautiful, had a beautiful voice. She could sing four octaves. And so her stepfather, when she was a young lady, heard her sing and realized this Julie, you can, you can sing four octaves. We need to get your voice trained. And so they found her a world-class vocal coach, so to speak, because her stepfather was a world-renowned vocalist. And so he, he knew who to contact. And so she got this vocal instructor who began to work with her. And she said something that just grabbed my attention this past week in that interview. 
She told the person interviewing her this, my teacher told me the amateur works until they get it right. The amateur works until they get it right. The professional works until they can't get it wrong. The professional works until they can't get it wrong. The just enough Christian works and walks just enough to get it right. The even more Christian pursues passion with Christ, obedience to Christ, love for Christ to the point that it doesn't appear they can get it wrong. What do you want to be? As a believer, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be stuck in this just enough trap or do you want to be set free to this ever-growing, ever-expanding love and passion for Jesus, going to new realms of obedience and blessing with him? I believe that's where this letter motivated Philemon to go. Paul was saying, let's just move on. And, and let's move on together. Because in reality, the only one who couldn't get it wrong in reality is the one who died for us. How dare I just try to get it right for the one who couldn't get it wrong? He is my goal. He is my Lord. He is my master. Let's pursue Jesus together. Now, I know you might be tempted to say, well, you've never met my Onesimus. Let me tell you what my Onesimus did. No, 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 no. Let's not talk about what somebody did to you. Let's talk about what Jesus did for you. Let's not respond in the world. Let's respond in the Lord. What has Jesus done for you that would give you permission to do less than what is good and godly for others? Let's pursue Jesus. And that might not make some sense, make any sense to some of us today because we've never met him. We've never put our full trust in him. Some of us here today may not understand the great price Christ paid for us because we don't understand the depth of our sin. Our sin merited the wrath of God upon our lives. It merits the hand of God against us. It, it merits and earns for us an eternity separated from God and a godless hell. But out of love and compassion, God himself became a man. God the Son became the Son of Man to give his life as a ransom for many. And by his blood, that enormous sin debt that would separate you from God has been paid in full. And he calls you today to put your faith and trust in him alone. 
And so in a moment, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in him alone, we come to celebrate that by reflecting on the cross through the broken body and shed blood, those symbols of that in the blood and the juice. So if you've never met Jesus, rather than coming and hypocritically partaking of this blessed meal, would you come and talk to me about committing your life to Christ and how to receive from him all that he has for you? Or maybe you know Christ, but you're stuck in that just enough and 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 you have overcome just enough sin to be better than the people around you, but there's still a besetting sin in your life that you have not dealt with. Even as a believer, we would ask you to abstain from the table until you release that through genuine repentance and get right with God before you come, lest you partake of the table in an unworthy manner. So now we come to the point where we respond to Jesus, the one and the only one worthy of our praise. Let's pray together. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.